All right. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, thank you so much for attending our Bible study tonight. Uh, before we proceed to another episode of the Bible History Project, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, gracious God, for blessing us with our life and our strength. As always, we have you to be thankful to because you sustain us in every way. We are truly thankful for blessing us with hearts thirsty for your knowledge. Yes. And so as we study your commandments tonight, may you please show us your will. Give us a commitment from our hearts that, Father, we can always carry out your laws every day in our life. May you please bless us with the power of your Holy Spirit. And may you please completely forgive all of our sins. We implore everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you so much for attending our Bible study tonight. Now, we left off from last week studying all about uh, Jacob and Esau going attending a funeral together because they had to bury their father who had passed. His name, of course, was Isaac. So we moved from there, and we're going to study 36 and 37 of Genesis. Yes. We're almost done with the book of Genesis. It took us about a year, but we're getting there. Our, our goal is before the year ends, we're going to finish the entire book of Genesis and march on to the book of Exodus. So uh, what we are going to study today are about the two sons of uh, Jacob, namely Esau and Jacob. And Jacob mainly focuses on a historic figure that we know much about, his name is Joseph. And so let's begin first with Esau. In the book of Genesis 36, 1 to 5, these are the descendants of Esau, also called Edom. Esau married Canaanite women, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Oholibama, the daughter of Anna, son of Zibion the Hevite, and Basimath, the daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Nebaioth. Ada bore Eliphaz, Basimath bore Ruel, and Oholibama bore Jehush, Jalam, and Korah. All these sons were born to Esau in the land of Canaan. So what we know about Esau was that he married someone that was against us. People who were not according to the will of God are supposed to be married with the people in the line of Jacob. He married Canaanite women. And so because he married Canaanite women, he was influenced by their religious practices. This is why Edom we know is associated with Esau, Esau associated with Edom, because they both practiced the same thing. So the descendants of Esau came to be known as the Edomites. You probably do not know much about the Edomites, and there's a good reason for that. We'll talk about that later on. Eventually, where does Esau take his entire family to? Genesis 36, 6 down to 9, Esau took his wives, his children, and his entire household, along with his livestock and cattle, all the wealth he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and moved away from his brother Jacob. Why? There was not enough land to support them both because of all the livestock and possessions they had acquired. So Esau, also known as Edom, this is the second time the Bible kind of gives us that information, that Esau is Edom, what the Bible is trying to do here is to tell us the attitudes, the philosophy of life of the Edomites 
come from their father, who is Esau. Remember, Esau is a man of the world. He was not interested in spiritual things. So Esau, also known as Edom, they moved, they settled in the hill country of Seir. This is the account of Esau's descendants, the Edomites, who lived in the hill country of Seir. Next slide, please, to give you an idea of where Seir is. It is at the southern portion of the land of Canaan. So that's where uh, Esau takes his family and clan, and they establish a kingdom there. In fact, this is what the Bible says about what they did there in, East, in Seir. Genesis 36 and the verses 31. These are the kings who ruled in the land of Edom before any king ruled over the Israelites. Remember, the first king of Israel, what was his name? What was his name? The first king of Israel. <laughs> Everyone's like pointing over there. <laughs> Why are you looking at brother? Not going to mention his name for the sake of his safety and the safety of his family, right? Who was the first king of Israel? Huh? Saul, right? This takes place after the exodus, after the conquest, after the judges, and then you get the first king. But long before that, the Edomites, they already had a king. You know why? Because they wanted to be like the other nations. Remember, the Edomites were like Esau. They wanted to be just like the people of the world. And so they established the first kingdoms. However, their kingdoms would not last. Why? Because the Edomites would represent a thorn in the eyes of the Israelites. They would always be in conflict with the people of Israel, which is from, the, of course, Jacob's line. Now, what does God decree against the Edomites? Obadiah, chapter 1, 8 down to 14. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? Men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains would be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof with strangers, while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one. Of them, you should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. That's a long read, right? Mm -hmm. What does it basically say? It's basically telling us God is very upset with the Edomites. You know why? Because they helped Nebuchadnezzar capture the people of Judah, the nation of God. Not only that, they gloated over the victory that the Babylonians had over the people of Judah. And so they were very pleased with the misfortune and the misery of their brothers, the people of Israel. So keep that in mind. God doesn't like that. You know, when 
bad things happen to other people and we kind of rejoice when that happens, God doesn't like that. You know, even if the people are considered our enemies, quote unquote, if bad things happen to them, God doesn't like it when we feel good about that. If they're in misery, we should also feel their misery and pain, right? And so we need to always have that in mind because God, he's sing he, God is singling out the Edomites for displaying this kind of character. Not only that, because of this, you know what God decreed against the Edomites? Malachi chapter 1, 2 down to 4. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the, to the desert jackals. Edom may say that we have been crushed. We will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land of people always under the wrath of the Lord. Because they laughed at the misery of the people of God, the people of Israel. What did God decree against the Edomites? The Bible says, they may build, but I will demolish. Do you want to see how Edom looks like today? Yeah? Next slide, please. This is how Edom looks like today. Lots of buildings, right? Looks like a fortified city to you? No, it looks like a wasteland. You know why? Why does it look like that today? Next slide, please. Because prophecy was fulfilled. Various countries have controlled the territory that was once Edom. Once Edom, right? But Edom as a nation disappeared. When the edict was made allowing people to return to the homelands, Israel and many other countries rebuilt. But Edom never did. During the time of the Greeks and the Romans, the region was known as Edomea, which is the Greek transliteration of Edom. The territory is currently controlled by Jordan. So prophecy is fulfilled. This is why to this very day, there is no more Edom. This is why when I ask you, do you, do you know the Edomites? You have no idea. Do you know the Israelites? Of course you do. Because even today, despite what they have gone through, they have survived because of God's promise to his people. And so what should we learn and understand about Esau, right? A man of the world and the Edomites, people of the world. This is what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. This is what the Edomites were, what, this is what characterized the Edomites and Esau. Everything material, everything of the physical craving for pleasure. These are not from the Father, but are from, the wor from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And so just as the Edomites passed away, right, faded away into nothing, the same goes for those who hold on to the values and the things of the world. And so we should live not to please the world, but to please who? Our all 
Almighty God. So Esau represents the world and the craving for the things of the world. This is why we don't hear much about Esau and the Edomites. On the other hand, the other son of Jacob, or the, uh, the other son of Isaac, and what's his name? You know, we have Esau. Now we have the other son. His name is Jacob. Now, what, is, uh, what do we know about Jacob? Now we go to chapter 37. Can you imagine that? We're chapter 37. <laughs> Let's go to chapter 37, verse 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, so he was a teenager, almost an adult, just like our brother over there. I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> right? He's going to be 18 soon, an adult. Right? He often tended his father's flocks. He was a hard worker, industrious. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. You know, Jacob's family is kind of dysfunctional. And it's a bit of a challenge to kind of uh, teach, to administer a family like that. It's a blended family. How many wives? You got four. You got a lot of stepbrothers, right? There's a lot of jealousy because there's a lot of favoritism that was shown by Jacob and his wife. And so we can expect a little hostility here and there, right? They live in a very dysfunctional family. And make matters worse, who was Joseph happens to be the favorite. And Joseph reported to his father some, some of the bad things his brothers were doing while they were out in the field tending the flock that belongs to Jacob. Now, when you see this statement right here, when you hear about Joseph reporting to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing, what do you kind of say about Jacob or about Joseph? I know what my son would say, what a tattletale, <laughs> right? Were you thinking that? He's like a tattletale? That's what I thought at first. But when you read further, what the, what, actually happened was Joseph was in charge of reporting to his father what his brothers were doing and what they were up to while they were tending the flock. That was his job. And so he wasn't tattletaling. He was simply reporting the truth to his father. And it just so happens one day his brothers did something that was no good. And because Joseph was a man of integrity, he cannot lie, he has to speak the truth. And sometimes if you're a person of integrity, guess what? You're going to upset some people, all right? Because if you are a person of integrity and you want to do what is right, you are against what is wrong, you're going to get in trouble. I think a lot of us got ourselves into some kind of trouble because of that, right? And so it should not be a as a shock to us when if a person holds on to his integrity, it might get him in trouble. So next slide, one of Joseph's character traits that we need to emulate is he had integrity because he wanted to do what is right. I really love Joseph. The more I study Joseph, the more I am in love with his character. And we should pattern our life after Joseph because he had integrity. He did what is right, even if it meant he was going to be ridiculed because after all, he was the younger brother right? What else? 
do we learn about Joseph? Next slide. Genesis 37, 3 down to 4. Now was it happened, Israel. Who was Israel? Jacob. His other name is Israel. Remember God changed his name from Jacob to Israel because he prevailed against the angel. Loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph was born to him in his old age. So one day, <laughs> Jacob gave him a special gift. A brightly colored coat. His brothers, of course, noticed their father's partiality. Consequently, hated Joseph. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So here's Jacob stirring the pot, right? Because he showed partiality, favoritism. You know, if you really want to divide a family up, that's how you do it. You show favoritism. If you have like four kids, because we grew up, uh, there are four brothers, Four brothers. We grew up, I grew up in a family with four brothers, no sisters, or four of us. I know you have four kids, right? I hope you don't have a favorite. <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh, I know he's kidding. You know, when you have a favorite, do you know what happens when you have favorites? It breeds jealousy, right? Jealousy breeds hatred, and hatred leads to bad things. It divides the family. It causes people to hate each other. That's not the way to have a family life. And so we should not have favorites. But Jacob had a clear favorite, and he made it really obvious by giving him a special gift. What kind of gift was that? A brightly colored coat. But you know what? When I was thinking about Joseph, I think Jacob really loved Joseph because of the qualities he showed, right? First of all, he was... Um, the son of his favorite wife, Rachel, right? So he considers him really the one with whom he would pass on the birthright. Because Reuben, well, he did something awful. We discussed that. I'm not going to discuss it here, right? Number two, Simeon and Levi, the next two to follow, they slaughtered the whole city. And so he really doesn't have any other choice but to give it to Joseph, right? And so he gives them a special gift a brightly colored coat i have no idea how that looks like but here's an artist rendition next slide wow <laughs> you know can you imagine yourself wearing that you're gonna stand out right <laughs> can you imagine wearing that brightly colored technicolor tunic you know when you look at the hebrew word for that was translated brightly colored it's really a Hebrew word that's hard to translate. So a lot of scholars today, they don't really translate it as brightly colored. Uh, some other translators translate it as a orna highly ornamented or long sleeve tunic or tunic with lots of pockets. But many believe it probably looks like that. Right? What does that remind you of? Yeah, rainbow. <laughs> so he's wearing this tunic, this um, rainbow-colored um, coat. And so all the more, his brothers hate him. Can you imagine coming out, coming into the house, out of the house, you're wearing that? It's like you're attracting attention and so that people will begin to hate you. So uh, one thing we know about Joseph, next slide. Number two, we know he had integrity to do what is right. And also, he was loved by his father because of the quality that he has shown. What else? Genesis 37, 5 down to 8. One night, Joseph 
had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Why? Listen to this dream, he said. So the dream has a command. Listen to this dream. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And so what made the brothers hate Jake, uh, Joseph even more? He had a dream. And this dream was about his brothers bowing down to him. And so they were upset. But, make matters worse, Joseph gets another dream. And he speaks about this other dream. What is that dream about? Genesis 37, 9 to 11. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. Let's pause there for a while. Who does the sun represent? <laughs> In his dream, what do you think? Jacob, the dad. How about the moon? Who is Jacob's moon? Rachel, right? And the 11 stars, who are they? The 11 brothers. And so in his dream, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So this time, not only the brothers, but even Jacob was a little upset with his favorite, right? Because this dream seems to implicate that the entire family, not only that, the entire world is, are going to bow down to who? Joseph, like, who are you to say something like that? But, but Jacob, he wonders about that dream. You know why? Because Jacob himself received messages from who? From God. Through what? Dreams. That's why he, that, that thought lingered in his mind. Maybe there's some truth in this. And the truth is, God was giving these dreams to Joseph because Joseph would be singled out by God to perform a great and mighty work. And so the message in his dreams, Jacob, Joseph was very bold in proclaiming and declaring, even if it means being scoffed at because of proclaiming such a message, which gives us another character trait worthy of emulating, the boldness to proclaim the message of God. Joseph had that. Now, after that dream, um, what happens next? Where do they go? Genesis 37, 12 to 14. So at, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. Remember Shechem? <laughs> of all the places, why would you want to go back to Shechem, right? The reason why is because they're bullies now. Joseph's, uh, Jacob's sons are like the bullies in the land of Canaan. A lot of people are afraid of them. When they had been there, uh, when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. 
get ready and I will send you to them. And so here's the brothers, they're out pastoring the fathers, here's their father's flocks in Shechem, but they've been out for a while. And so Joseph, I mean, Jacob wants to know what's going on. So who does he send? Joseph. He said, Joseph, I will send you to them. Now, I want you to know, right at this point, they're at Hebron, okay? And Joseph is being instructed by his dad to go all the way to Shechem. You know how far Shechem is from Hebron? Next slide. Yeah, so Hebron is over here. So he has to travel all the way to Shechem, which is about 50 miles, which would require three days. Can you imagine Joseph by himself, by himself, right? He's going to go all the way uh, to Shechem to see his brother who hates him, <laughs> his brothers who hate him. And so that was the command, right? And next slide. When Jacob gives a command, yeah, Genesis 37, 12 down to 14, he says, get ready. He tells um, Joseph, get ready, and I will send you to them, to Shechem. What does Joseph say? Next slide. He says, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Joseph replied. It's like even before he said, go, I'm ready. Right? Father says, get ready. I'm already ready. <laughs> and so what do you see here about Joseph? What can you sense about Joseph? His dad is telling him to go a far place to see people who don't really like him, wants him dead. Right? And Joseph said, I'm ready to go. Next slide. This tells us. That Joseph was quick to obey his father's orders, his commands, even if it meant having to sacrifice, right? This is why Joseph was really a good person. He said yes to his parents, even if it means having to sacrifice. So he's on his way now to uh, Shechem. Why does jo uh, Jacob send Joseph in the first place? Genesis 37 verse 14 this is what he instructs him. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back. What does it say? And bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way. And Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. So what was the purpose of Jacob sending out Joseph? He wants a report. Why does he send Joseph? Because he's honest. He tells the truth. And so he is trustworthy. That's one of his good traits. Next slide. So that's five traits already. Trusted by his father because he was truthful in all things and he was a man of integrity. So he travels all the way to Shechem, about a three days journey. Once he gets there, what does he find? Genesis 37, 15 to 17. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So he goes all the way to Shechem. And guess what? They're not there. They moved to a place called Dothan. How far is Dothan from Shechem? Next slide. It's about 20, 20 miles away. And so that's another day's worth of traveling. You know, if I, were, I mean, if I was Joseph, I got a perfect excuse. Dad, I went to Shechem. They were not there, right? So that's that. But Joseph is different. He was given an order. 
he's going to carry it out. And so what does he do? Next slide. And so when he finds out they went to Dothan, what does he say? Next slide. So Joseph followed his brothers. Yep, next slide. Followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Mission accomplished. Next slide. What does that mean? Number six. Joseph had this character trait where he overcomes hindrances to obedience. Right? So when you look at the traits of Joseph, he had integrity. He always did what is right. Number two, he was loved by his father because of his qualities. Number three, he was bold in proclaiming the message of God. He quickly obeys, even if it's difficult. He trusted. He was trusted by his father because of his integrity, and he always told the truth. And number six, he overcomes hindrances to obedience. So we need to follow this characteristic, the characteristics displayed by Joseph. This is why he's a good person for us to emulate, right? But once he gets there, when the brothers see him approaching, probably wearing his tunic. <laughs> well, if I was Joseph, I probably would not have worn that. That's what happens to him. Genesis 37, 18 and 20, when uh, Joseph's brother saw him coming from a distance, right? They recognize him right away in the distance. Why? The blue, the red, the orange, the yellow, right? Glistening from the sun. <laughs> and so when they saw all that, the blazing colors, as he approached, they made plans <laughs> to kill him. Oh, my goodness. Talk about family dysfunction, right? <laughs> Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into, into one of these cisterns, like a deep well. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. <laughs> they're really jealous and they really hate Joseph. And so they plan to kill him. They really plan to kill him. They were serious. I mean, they were not like joking around. You know, sometimes how we joke around. <laughs> we don't really mean it, right? But they were not joking around. It's a good thing. It's a good thing somebody stepped in and intervened. And so who was that? Genesis 37, 21 to 22. But when Reuben, who was Reuben? The eldest. When Reuben heard of, their, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. So they were really serious. They really wanted to kill him. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this, this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Because Reuben knows he's the eldest and he would be in big trouble if favorite doesn't go back home. <laughs> right? And so he has to do something. So secretly he had a mission. Protect. Joseph. So he had a scheme. He was also afraid of his brothers, which shows you that the leadership of uh, Reuben is pretty weak, right? As the elder brother, he was afraid of his other brothers. And so while Reuben went away, what happens? Genesis 37, 23 to 24. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe. Oh, no. They ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Poor Joseph. Can you imagine? Traveling four days, right? Four days. Only to be uh, beaten up and have your favorite beautiful robe ripped off from you. And then thrown into an empty cistern, right? 
And so while Reuben was away, what did they do? What did they plan to do? Genesis 37, 25, what happened? Who came along? Then just as they were sitting down to eat, so while their brother was suffering, they were eating, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from the Gilead down to Egypt. And so they saw a caravan. These were Ishmaelite traders. And so because they saw the caravan, somebody comes up with a bright idea. Guess who? Let's find out. Next slide. Genesis 37, 26 to 28. Judah. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? His blood will, would just give us a guilty conscience. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Poor guy. Right? And so they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelite traders. And the mastermind behind this, the one who came up with the bright idea, was someone by the name of Judah. And so when Reuben comes, looks at the empty cistern and finds it empty, what happens next? Genesis 37, 29 to 30. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out because that was his plan, right? Out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone. What will I do now? Because he knows he's going to be in big trouble, right? And so the brothers, what do they come up with as a plan? Genesis 37, 31, 32. Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? I don't know about you, but I feel bad for, for, for Jacob. I mean, that was a favorite son. And that robe, probably required a lot of effort to put that together, right? It was very special to him, gave it to his special son. It meant something. It meant something. And to have that returned to you with blood, thinking it's your son's blood, that must have been very, very traumatic for Jacob, right? Can you imagine? Doesn't this robe belong to your son? That was the question. That was the message. And when he saw that, what was his, what was his reaction? Genesis 37, 33, 35, their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph was clearly, has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in the burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him. Imagine that. What a bunch of hypocrites, huh? But he, re he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. That's sad, right? I mean, it's a good thing. At least we know, at least we know this has a happy ending, right? But here, it's like a tragedy. Can you imagine? Thinking that your son was torn into pieces by wild animals, your favorite son. That's really, really sad. But you know, Next slide. We know that uh, Jacob deceived 
It's Isaac, right? And we know the principle of reaping what you sow. This is why we're not surprised that God allowed for Jacob to be deceived by Laban. Not once, but twice. First with the wives, next with the, the work that was given to him, right? So he was deceived, but he was also deceived by his sons. How was he deceived by his sons? Look at the, peril, the parallelism here. Jacob deceived Isaac. Jacob's sons deceived Jacob. Jacob had deliberately deceived Isaac into giving him the blessing, remember? Now, Jacob's sons deliberately deceive him into thinking Joseph is dead. What else? Next slide. An article of clothing is used in the deception. Jacob wraps his arms and his head in wool to stimulate the hairy arms and back of Esau. Remember that? Right? An article this time of clothing is used in the deception. The brothers dip Joseph's tunic in blood to simulate Joseph's torn body. What else? Next slide. Joseph had deceived his father with a skin of a dead goat. Jacob's sons deceived him with the blood of a dead goat. Do you see the parallelism here? Right? Reaping what you sow. God is upset when we practice deceit. Never lie. Never practice deceit because you reap what you sow eventually. And this has haunted Jacob for a long, long, long time time let us learn that lesson do not ever deceive anyone no matter who they are and so after that uh, what happens to joseph once he arrives to in egypt genesis 37 36 meanwhile the midianite traders arrived in egypt where they sold joseph to potiphar an officer of pharaoh the king of egypt potiphar was captain of the palace guard so not only was he sold to the Midianites? He was also sold by the Midianites to the Egyptians, to Potiphar, the, the captain of the palace guard. Now, next slide. When you look at Joseph, right, he started out in Hebron, travels north four days all the way to Dothan, from Dothan, a whole 300 miles all the way to Egypt. So he's far away from home, far away from his family, in a foreign land as a slave. I don't know about you, if you were in that position, that's not really something that you want to be in, right? But when you look at the situation, what led to this tragedy? It all started, next slide, because of this one powerful emotion. I want you to understand, jealousy, okay? Jealousy is a powerful Emotion. Jealousy can make you do bad things. Crazy things. Why? Because, next slide, jealousy breeds hatred. And when you have a lot of hatred for people, what are you, willing, what are you capable of doing? Next slide. Killing. Either you physically kill him or you kill his reputation. Right? You kill his character. When you hate a person because you're jealous, you do what the devil wants you to do. And the brothers of Joseph were guilty of doing exactly the same thing. This pattern of jealousy, hatred, because someone is doing right and being blessed and you're doing what is wrong. And so you're jealous. You hate that person. You kill that person. You know, this pattern in the Holy Scriptures was recognized by a famous apostle. But before we go to that apostle, let's look at the pattern and how it plays out in the Old Testament. Next slide. Remember Cain, the older brother? Right? What does he do? Because of his jealousy. 
kills Abel. Why was he jealous of Abel? Because Abel's offering was accepted, but his was rejected. Because Abel did what is right, and Cain did what is wrong. So he was jealous. He hated Abel. He killed Abel. What else? Next slide. Esau. He's also the older brother, right? What does he want to do? He wants to kill Jacob, right? The younger brother. Why? Because of what happened with the exchange of the birthrights, right? Next slide. Now, this time, the elder brothers want to kill who? Joseph. And Joseph winds up becoming a slave all the way in the land of Egypt. So this pattern of jealousy and hatred and killing, we see this in the Old Testament, but an apostle recognized that pattern. And this is what he has to say because it's very relevant to us today. What is that? First John 3, 11 down to 13. This is the message you have heard from the beginning because it's a pattern. When you have a pattern in scripture, it becomes a message, a powerful message. What is that? We should love one another. We must not be like who? Like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You see, the pattern, Apostle John took that pattern in the Old Testament. When you do the right thing, you will be hated for it. And people will want to do you harm. And he said, don't be surprised today if by doing the right thing, people will hate you for it. It will happen again. When will it come to its consummation, though? This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Before the end comes, this is what he says. People will hand over their own brothers to be put to death. This is Cain and Abel, Esau and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers all playing out all over again. Right? Betrayal within the family. It's a common theme in scriptures. And Christ says it will be a common theme right before he comes. Right? Fathers will do the same uh, to their children. Children will turn against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But this is what Christ wants us to do. Whoever holds out to the end will be saved. Those who declare publicly that they belong to me. I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ said, before the end comes, which is what's happening now, what can we expect to transpire? What happened in the Old Testament is also going to happen now. What happened in the first century is also going to happen now. What is that? When you declare Jesus Christ, that you belong to him, that he's your master and leader, you're going to be hated. Christ says, Everyone will hate you because of me. You know, during the first century, when people publicly announced concerning Christ, guess who became jealous and wanted to kill him? The Romans and the Jews. The kings of the Roman, the, the Roman emperor, and the Jewish high priest, right? They wanted to kill Jesus. Because if you publicly announce someone else as king, people are going to hate you. Today! Is, that, is the same thing happening today? <laughs> yeah. You know, when you say publicly, I belong to Christ, you're going to be hated. Right? Why? Because what they want you to say is to publicly announce that you belong to someone else other than our Lord, Jesus Christ. And this is going to create betrayal among the families. This is happening now. How do we pass the test? Christ says this is what you do. 
hold out until the end to do what? Declare publicly that we belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we say. This is what we do. We are one. We are one with our leader, our chief shepherd. Who is that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice his promise when we say that? I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. What all is happening now with our own eyes as witnesses, what we need to do is stand our ground and continue to proclaim we belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why I love the story of Joseph? There's a lot of similarities between the, the story of Joseph and who? You notice that? Remember our common theme when we study Genesis? Who do we see all the time in Genesis as a type? Yeah, we see a lot of the Lord Jesus Christ in it, right? Even in the life of Joseph. We see a lot of the Lord Jesus Christ in there. Next slide. Joseph was a type of Christ. Look at the, the life of Joseph. He was beloved by his father, right? He was hated by his brothers. He was sent to, to find his brothers. His brothers plotted to murder him. He was sold for 20 shekels of silver, as suggested by who? Judah. <laughs> the blood of a goat served as the sign of his death. Look at the, look at the parallelism now between Joseph and Jesus. Uh, next slide. Right? He was beloved by his father. This is my beloved son, the father said concerning who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He was hated by his brothers. Who were the brothers of Jesus? The Israelites. Right? He came to his own, the, the Israelites. And those who were his own did not receive him. The Jews rejected him. Right? He was sent to find his brothers. Christ was sent to find the lost sheep of Israel. His brothers plotted to murder him. His fellow Jews plotted to murder him. He was sold for 20 shackles of silver as suggested by Judah. Next slide. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by Judas, which happens to be Greek for Judah, right? The blood of a goat served as the sign of his death. Jesus, his own shed blood is a sign of his death. Do you see the parallelism? And we're not even complete yet with the life and story of Joseph. This is why when we finish Joseph, we're going to go back to this list, and you're going to be surprised. The very details in fact, when we go through the life of Joseph, I want you to spot those. The things that happened in Joseph's life. And I want you to remember in the back of your mind, God is trying to communicate something to us about the coming of a Messiah. Okay, You will see it being played out in the life of Joseph. And so here's Joseph. He's in Egypt. Next slide. Hundreds of miles away from his hometown. People think he's dead and you're a slave. Put yourself in that position. Next slide. And you are in a miserable spot. How many here have ever experienced a tough spot in their lives? Yeah? A lot, I think a lot of us. Probably not as, but as bad as that. <laughs> but you know what? When we are in a difficult state of, uh, in a situation that's very, very tough, always keep in mind Romans chapter 8, verse 28. What does it say? And we know that God causes everything causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Do you believe that? I mean, God never wanted Joseph to be mistreated like that, but there was something God wanted. You know what it was? God wanted Joseph to be in Egypt. And so what did he do? He took all of the maltreatment that his brothers did against him 
And God used that to work together for what? For good. See, if you're in a bad place, doesn't matter what it is. In fact, it could be because of your sin. It could be because of a trial. It could be because of somebody else's sin. It could be because of a natural disaster. It doesn't matter what tough spot you find yourself in right now. Okay? Whatever it is, God can do this. He can cause it to work together for our own good. That's the power that God has. This is why we worship God. He's awesome. Nobody else can do what God can do. Cause everything to work together for our own good. So he goes to Egypt as a slave. He comes out of Egypt. Do you know what happens to him? Genesis 41, 39 and 40. Let's jump a little bit just to give you an idea. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Right? He, get, he, he went to Egypt as a slave. He comes out of Egypt, or he still, he, I mean, after what happened to him, he comes out, and this time he's not a slave. What is he? He's a ruler, right? He is the right hand of the, the Pharaoh, the king. So he sits at the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. That's who? Joseph. Do you know anyone else? Who also became a ruler and also sits at the right hand? Who could that be? <laughs> Next slide. First Peter 3, 21, 22. Just to give you an idea. It saves you. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You see the parallelism? Just like Joseph, who had the other officials submit to him. Christ has every power and authority submit to him. It's only God himself that has higher authority over our Lord Jesus Christ. Why was this fulfilled in Joseph? Let's go back to the dream. Genesis 37, 9 to 11. Soon Joseph had another dream. Remember this dream? And this, he said, listen, I have an, another dream. He said, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. Was that fulfilled? But do you know who else this dream can apply to? The sun, the moon, 11 stars. Take away Judah or Judas. How many apostles do you have left? How many? 11, right? The sun and the moon, parents of Jesus would also bow down to him. He would be the king of kings, lord of lords. You see the parallelism, right? Is it true that people would also bow down before our Lord Jesus Christ? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, that was the worst thing that can happen to an individual. But God took what is worst and he caused good to come out, right? The cross became the instrument for our salvation. 
Joseph being sold as a slave became the instrument for the salvation of the people of Israel, right? Salvation from famine. This is why I asked you, you know, what tough place are you at right now? Doesn't matter. You give it to the hands of God and God can do something with that. Cause it to work together for good. If he can do that for Joseph or the Lord Jesus Christ, he can do that for you. Because God has a purpose for everything. Everything happening in our life, God can use that to help us and to cause all things to work together for our good. This is why the story of Joseph is so beautiful because it points us to our true king. The one to whom every knee should bow. Who is that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's our lesson for tonight. Let us go ahead and stand for our prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, O God, for blessing your people today. We have received your holy words, given us insight into your plan that you conceived even before the creation of the universe. Indeed, you have great love for your chosen ones. We are truly fortunate to be among the elect those whom you have chosen to belong to Jesus, your son, that we can be partakers of your promises, including the glory that you have prepared for each one of us. We know, Father, we have to go through difficult times, but we believe it. no matter what we are facing now, no matter how difficult the trek may be, you can work for good everything that we experience, all the negative events in our life. You are able to use, Father, to cause to work together, even for our own good. We trust you, O God. Remember your people today, wherever they may be. If you see them crying out to you in pain, listen to their pleas. Reach out to them, O God. Certainly they have much to tell you. We are truly fortunate we can do exactly that because you have commanded us before to give to you our worries to give to you our cares because again and again you help us by sustaining and supporting us, replenishing our strength. Thank you, O God, for remembering your people always. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Lord of lords, King of kings. We proclaim and always will. We belong to you now and forever. You are our chief shepherd. And we will cry to you always and make you our strong rock. Remember each one of your followers when we need anything, Lord. And we call out your name from heaven. Please send forth your spirit that will give us enlightenment and strength in our journey. Father, bless your people who are being oppressed wherever they may be. May you please set free from prison those who are wrongfully accused. You can do the impossible. We rely on you, Father. Bless your people wherever they may be. Bless everyone here, O God, including those who reside in this place. May you prosper them and protect them. Our brethren who travel the long distance to be here, sacrifice much to come here because they seek your counsel, O God. Bless them all. Keep them safe in their travels. Be with us night and day that we can always remember your great works and place our complete hope and trust in you. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Amen.